last week of this series. And to be honest with you, I'm about to overload you with information. I should really take today's message and make it three more weeks of messages. But I'm bored with the series. I'm ready to move on. I'm excited about our next series, starting a new series next week called When Plan B turns to plan A and talking about how when you get off the course, whether it's in your finances or your marriage or whether it's in life or purpose, the minute you go off plan A, God always has another plan A for you to get right back on track. He's a God of second chances. He's not just a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances and tenth chances and hundredth chances. And for a crowd like this, I got good news for you. He's a God of ten thousandth chances. Somebody say amen today. Man, Paul said, I am the chief among sinners. I think Paul had never met me. I am the chief among sinners, man. But I tell you what, we're wrapping up this series. And I got to be honest, if this series was for nobody else, it was for me. It, it was just one of those series that takes you back to the root of everything, especially in my walk with God. The prodigal son was a story in my life that impacted me. It made me realize, man, I wanted to make some changes in my life. I've enjoyed doing the character study and looking at the different elements of the story. I think we brought a different perspective to you that we talked and broke down the younger son. We took down the older son. We talked about the father last week. I enjoyed last week's message because sometimes you just got to go back. It's so easy, especially in a church that is our style where we try to give you very basic, practical things every week. Our goal as a church or my goal as a preacher is to never overload you with knowledge. Let me make this very clear to you. I'm not really concerned with how much knowledge you have of the Bible. That sounds really weird. I'm much more concerned with how you're living out the knowledge that you have. You can know the Bible frontwards to backwards, backwards to frontwards, but if you're not living it out, it really does you no good. All you have is information. The Bible says faith without works is dead. If you're not taking what you learn and putting it into place, that's why I joke. I say, really, I only have about seven messages. And someone said, well, you're not joking. You're right. I only have about seven messages. I switch them up, change them, put different graphics with them. Because at the end of the day, I, I have just come to the conclusion we can't do the basic things right in our life. We got everybody that wants us to go deeper, and they can't even stand in the shallow end yet. That They can't drink milk, and they're wanting to eat steak. So here's what I always say. When we learn the simple things like love God and love people, maybe we can start learning some other things. But man, I've enjoyed this series, and I enjoyed last week in the midst of that, just going back and talking about the goodness of God. Sometimes we forget just how good God is. God's so good in our lives that it sounds kind of weird, but we almost just take him for granted. You know, we, we forget that the, the blessings in our life come from God. In the midst of, in my lifetime anyway, what was definitely the craziest year ever of my life, over and over and over, was just reminded how good God is. In, in a year of dealing with death, in a year of dealing with financial uncertainty, in the year of dealing with, man, I don't even know if this place will exist at the end of that. Man, it's just over and over, God is good. We serve a good God today. It was fun to go back and talk about that last week. And today I want to talk to you and just talk to those of you who might be where the younger son was in the story. 
And the story we're talking about, of course, is the prodigal son. We all know the story. The son went to the father. He asked for his inheritance early. He took that inheritance. He went off. He lived life by his own rules. Oh, BTW, living life by your own rules doesn't ever work. It might work temporarily. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But you can only run from God for a season. And eventually, spring turns to summer turns to fall, and winter comes. And the son found him in that thing. He took all the money. He blew all the money. And suddenly, amazing how that happens, all the money's gone, and suddenly all the friends are gone. All the good times are gone. And, and you get to the point where all you're left with is yourself and your mistakes and your heartbreak and your failures. And in that story, the prodigal son, he got to the point where life had got so low, he went from having all this money and all these friends and all this fame and all this achievement to he's literally taking a job feeding pigs. It could get no lower for a Jewish person. Stop it, could get a little bit lower. He, He was in such a low place that feeding the pigs wasn't enough. He actually started to look at the food that the pigs were eating and thinking it looks real good. He was so hungry. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that you can get any lower than that, but whole another level, he goes even lower. The Bible says that he began to see the pig slop and begin to be in want and begin to desire the pig slop, and no one even offered him any of that. And then the most powerful verse to me in all the Bible, it's just one of those verses that resonate with me. The Bible says, he came to his senses. Man, he came to his senses. And said, man, I can go back home. I can beg for forgiveness. And I can ask my dad just to hire me on as a servant, as a staff person, because my dad's servants live better than I'm living. I I love the fact that he didn't say, I can go back home and dad will forgive me and it'll be like it used to be. That's arrogance. Humbleness is I'm going to go back home and just be glad to have a roof over my head. A job that I can have some food and clothes on my back. But of course we know how the story ends. He heads home and the Bible says that when he was a great distance off, the father saw him and ran to him. Thank God for that father. He always gives us more than we expect. But some of you today are where the son was. And if you're not where the son was today, you're coming out of where the son was. And because I like to be full of encouragement and be uplifting, because that's just my middle name, Gary, Uplifting Lamb. If you're not where the sun was, if you're not coming out of where the sun was, chances are real good in the near future you'll be headed towards where the sun was. That's the thing about sin. None of us are exempt from it. We live in this mindset, this new age mindset of that we achieve a time where we don't sin. No, no, the Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says for there is none righteous, no, not one. Guess what, pastor of the church, I don't have any divine revelation for you today. God doesn't put me on some pedestal that you're not on. I I am as flawed as the next guy. I have not achieved 
a level of enlightenment that you don't achieve. Temptation exists for me. The wrong choices exist for me. And I wish I could say they exist for me and guess what? I'm above them, but they exist for me and sometimes I'm above them. Sometimes I dip my toe in them. Let's be honest, I don't ever dip my toe in them. Sometimes I just dive head first into them. My life can be summed up in bad decisions. Good God. My sister likes to say about me, I'm not close to my sister. A lot of you know that. And um, my sister is that she's the older brother. Someone said, do you ever worry that your sister listens to these podcasts? Well, I, I can't imagine that she does. But trust me, one thing you'll find out about me too is she very much knows how I feel about her. So she wouldn't find anything surprising. But it's funny, man. My sister, man, she's got great husband and great kids. And man, they're just the, the typical, I, I don't know about their internal things. I, I probably have my opinions. But they, they seem like the all-American Christian family. They're great. But man, they have a rough go at it so many times that my sister says, she gets mad. She tells my mom all the time, I don't understand Gary. He can fall in a pile of, she wouldn't say shit, but so a pile of crap. A pile of crap. And he comes out smelling like roses every single time. And I'm like, man, God is good. I think God's just like, man, that guy is an idiot. And if I just don't give him some extra grace, we're going to be in a bad shape. (laughs) Today I want to answer some questions, though, for you. On on what do you do when you've left the farm? What do you do when you left home? Because, again, man, there's nobody here today that is exempt in one area or another of leaving the farm. Maybe you've left the farm when it comes to your career. You've wandered off into this path, and man, you're lost right now. Maybe you've wandered off when it comes to your marriage. You've just checked out of your marriage. You've wandered off in your relationship with God. You've wandered off, and and hurts and habits and hang-ups now control your life. I, I don't know where it is in your life you've wandered off in, But the reality is, we've all wandered off in some areas. Maybe there was a time in your life, man, the things of God were exciting, and they were fun, and they were this. And now, man, you're just like, man, it's not for me. I had a discussion with a guy in the last month or so when he started messaging me about his marriage, and I was talking to him about it. And I could tell really quickly we were heading down a dangerous path. Because you always know you're headed down a dangerous path in your marriage. Let me enlighten you on some things real quick on how you can know that. When your spouse is the one you blame for every one of your problems. Well, if my wife did this and my wife did that and my wife did this and my wife did that and my wife supported this and she believed in me and this, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Because that's how the wandering off on the farm starts. It's called the blame game. It's never your fault. Why would it be? I remember when I went through the darkest days of my life, people would come to me. And this always, I don't know why it irritated me. I guess I should have put myself in their shoes and realized they're hurt. But it was just a height of arrogance to me. 
People would come to me and they, you know what hurts me the most about what you did? About what? That you lied to me. And I thought to myself, you stupid idiot. I was lying to myself. Why wouldn't I lie to you? No offense to you, I don't even know you that well. I was lying to my children, lying to my wife, lying to my staff people, lying to my closest friends. And you're so arrogant, you think I wouldn't lie to you? That's what sin does. I I used to always feel like I was supposed to look at them and say, I'm sorry. But I wasn't sorry. Even after I'm done, I wasn't sorry because I was like, of course I was lying to you. I thought I was lying to God. I thought I had fooled God. That's sin right there. When you think you're fooling God, or how about this? When you start justifying your sin, God's letting me do this. God's letting me do this. Man, it's going to take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. How many times have you heard me say that saying? You know the crazy thing about that saying? That saying was created by a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Anybody heard of him? Ravi Zacharias made that statement famous. Ravi Zacharias is probably the most the most famous apologetics is what they call it. He can break down scripture in a debating form. Unlike him, he's probably the most mainstream guy ever. He died at the beginning of 2020. Anybody seen anything about Robbie Zacharias in the news lately? Go Google his name, because in about the last two weeks, all these accusations have come out about Robbie Zacharias. Prostitutes, massage parlors, abuse against women, sexual deviance, all these horrible things. Someone said, well, does that void the message? No, I don't void the message at all. The mess of the messenger never voids the message. So what do you think about that? Here's what I think about it. Here's what I think about it. I think he was human. I'm not justifying his actions, so let me make that very clear. But can I tell you that saying, sin will take you further than you ever want to go, keep you longer than you ever want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to spend? It actually means more to me because now I felt like every time he said it, he was speaking to himself. He knew the cost of what he was doing. There's no way you're a child of God and you don't know wrong. I saw these preachers. I'm getting rid of all my books by him. I wouldn't try to find all my books by him. I I was digging through boxes the other day. Because I want to go back and read him and be like, man, I want to see his point of view now knowing the pain and the sin that he was going through. There will come a time in your life where sin takes control of your life. As long as you're breathing, sin will take control of your life. You will never achieve perfection on this side of heaven. There's only been one who was ever perfect. If you're under a leader who tells you he has it all figured out, and you're under a leader who tells you he has it all together, you're under a cult. It's that simple. I tell you all the time, don't take my word for what I'm teaching you. This book was made available to you as it was made available to me. Check it out. Read it. I try to back everything I can up with Scripture. But the question becomes, is once you've wandered away from home, 
How do you return home? Because the good news is today, you can always return home. There's no such thing as not being able to return home. The church, especially the American church, loves to preach that. We're the only army that shoots our own. We're the only group that will turn on our own when they mess up. Man, we'll go to hell and back for the junkie across town, but one of ours mess up. <laughs> it's a joke. It's disgusting is what it is. Because home is home. You're always welcome at home. And if you're not welcome at home, then it's not home. You're always loved at home. And if you're not, I'm getting ahead of myself, man. But I want to answer some questions about going home. I was going to preach a message on how to come home. And actually, so many of you kept sending me questions. I thought, man, I'm going to put a frequently asked question. It's a way different sermon than I normally preach. I'm going to bam, 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 quick hit some points with you right from these stories. Like I said, each one of these questions should have been its own sermon. But i got to move on. Each one of these could have been a whole nother series, but the first question people ask me over and over, I kept getting asked is, when should we go home? How do we know we've hit a stage in our life, Gary, when we can go home? The simple answer is this. If you're asking the question, it's probably time to come home. But as we read the story, we get get some deeper things. The first response to me or my first response to you when I ask that question, when should we go home, is when you leave the Father's house behind. The minute you step out of the house, you know deep inside what you're doing. Matter of fact, dare I say, the first time you leave the house is the hardest time. The first time you, the hardest time to steal is the first time, then you get used to it. The time you feel the most guilt about doing drugs is the first time. Then you become hardened to it. When you leave the father's house behind, you immediately know it's probably time to go home. This is the hardest time to go home because you're blinded by the sin and all the lights of the sin. But this is the easiest time to go home. The first step out is always the easiest When I was about 16, I ran away from home. No, I wasn't 16 because I didn't have a car. I was about 15, I ran away from home. I left in the middle of the night. I took off. About 6 o'clock in the morning, I got hungry. Realized I had no money. Realized I had nowhere to go. Realized I had no plan. And it was real easy to pick up the phone and go home. It was even easier to turn back around and realize I'd only made it about a half mile down the road. So why don't I just go back home before they find out I left home? So I rolled up back home. It was easy when you first leave. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. Son makes a horrible request, a selfish request. He's basically telling his father, I wish you were dead, so give me what's mine. <laughs> you want to know when it's time to come home? It's time to go home the minute, the minute you set off on that path. 
You want to know when it's time to come? The minute you start thinking, man, my life would be different if uh, I was married to that person. The minute you let it be an option. I'm not one of these pastors that say you should never get divorced. But I'm telling you, the minute you allow it to become an option, is the minute you went down the path. The minute you decide to partake of something you shouldn't partake of is the minute you should start the way home. As soon as you're starting to feel that love start to slip, as soon as you're starting to feel that strain, that's the moment that if we want to have the easiest path home, we start heading back home. And most of the times, those moments coincide with the moment we've taken our eyes off the things of God. I love the story of Peter walking on water. It's an amazing story. But there's a lesson in there. As Peter's walking on the water, suddenly the Bible says he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. It sounds so simple, but when when I'm tuned in with Jesus, when I'm tuned in with God, it's a lot easier to stay on the path. That's the importance of your personal worship time, getting in this book, digging through time with God. (laughs) When you begin to live more like the world than Jesus, it might be time to start heading home. When you begin to look a whole lot more like the world than you do Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 15, and there he squandered off to this far land, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. When people see you, and I especially want to talk to you about this today at Action Church. Because, man, we are a church that doesn't do religion very well. Meaning, we don't say, man, when you get saved, you've got to look this way and act this way and dress this way and talk this way. Because those are man-made rules. That being said, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, people ought to see the Jesus in you. If they see nothing but you acting like everyone else, they know why do they need Jesus. I've asked this question before. If you were put on trial for being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? Or do you look like everyone else looks like? And do you act like the world acts? And do you believe the things the world believes? And I tell you, the line between the way the world believes and the way the church believes is getting more and more mixed up all the time. But is there something different in the way you act? It doesn't mean you act perfect. It doesn't mean you don't have marriage problems, but you work through those marriage problems. It doesn't mean you don't have addiction problems, but you learn how to overcome those addictions. It doesn't mean you have financial problems, but you overcome those things. You learn how to do everything through the lens of this book instead of the lens of what the world says. The problem is the unbelieving world looks at the believing world and they see no difference. We act the same. We look the same. When times get hard, it, when COVID hit and everyone's freaking out, and people used to ask me, because I, 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 I don't mean this arrogantly. I, don't mean, I, I, I just kind of rolled with stuff. People are like, hey, I'm like, then they faith is faith. Either God's in control or God's not in control. If I lose everything, but God's in control, then I lose everything. Guess what? I've lost everything before. 33 years old. I went from pastoring the 14th fastest growing church in the country 
to three, getting named that to three weeks later, literally living in someone's basement. You know what I found out about losing everything? It sucks. But it ain't fatal. Guess what happened the first night I moved in their house? I went to bed. And guess what happened the next morning? The freaking sun came up. And I woke up. And I sat there all day in my filth and my stench. And I went to sleep. And guess what happened the next day? The freaking sun came up. And I sat there all day long. And about day four, I woke up and was like, man, I probably need to eat something. I told you, I think I sure I had $5 to my name. $5 cash. Because, man, they had froze my, you know, the ex-wife wasn't too happy. She froze the accounts. Imagine that, boy. $5. I went to Little Caesars Pizza. I still got to my, to this day, I'll roll with some Little Caesars. Listen. And I'll tell you something, to this day, that was the best pizza I ever had in my life. At that time, I was clean shaven. and that, I wasn't because, man, I'd been through this mess and ate that pizza and I felt like I had some energy. And I took the first shower I took in about seven days. And I tell you, I was sitting in my stench. I shaved. And then I just sat there again. I didn't do anything. And I, I told you, I sat there for about 24 more days. Suddenly, I'll never forget FedEx came knocking on the door of these people's house and had a package for me. But a package for me? It was a big, fat envelope. I lost everything about 30 days before. You know what happens every 30 days? The bills come. So my ex-wife, in her loving way, had combined all those bills. Even though she was still receiving my salary. Oh, did I say that? Oh, I'm sorry. And FedExed all them bills to me. All of a sudden, the reality hit. Sitting in this basement ain't going to work. I got to get back after it. I'm not going to live like the world. The world sits around and moans and whines. I had to depend on Jesus like never before to get back after living. I, I can't go back and change the mess-ups I had, but by God, I wanted people to look at my life and say, man, when you have Christ in your life, you get up after failure and you keep on going. Falling's not the issue. Staying down's the issue. When should we go back home, man, when you begin to live more like the world than Jesus? How about this? And this is a scary moment, and I want to clarify something. But when you lose the Father's blessing... Might be time to go back home. I make this real clear to you. You will never, ever, ever lose the Father's love. But you can lose the Father's blessing. He's always daddy, always loves you. But you can lose his blessing. After that, after what? After he went off to this far land and partied and did the wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a fear of famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. The blessing that the father bestowed upon him, the early inheritance, ran out. When you head off on your own path, 
the blessing of God will head out. God is not going to bless you in your sin. Now let me clarify something because so many of you have come to me before and said, I don't understand how this person does this, this, and this, and yet it still seems like life's great. Trust me, they're paying the price for their sin. Just because they're not paying the price you want them to pay doesn't mean they're not paying the price. You don't get to dictate the punishment. You don't know that they lay their head down at night and they can't sleep. You don't know the anguish that they go through. I was watching this show the other night, and um, this girl had killed a guy, and the, the show had premised the girlfriend had been tracking down the killer to kill him, and she finally found the killer, and she had the opportunity to kill the killer. And the killer broke down and was just like, do it. I, it haunts me every day because she had killed her by accident. Just do it. And the killer's like, no. I'd rather make you suffer by living. You live with it every single day. I, I told you the story of in the past, I pastored this couple, and the guy came home, and he found his wife was having an affair. The, the, the guy she was having an affair with jumped out the window, jumped out the window, broke his leg, and they arrested my buddy for assault. He went to jail, had all these consequences. And he would come to me over the years and he said, I don't understand. I didn't do anything and I come home and I deal with it. And yet she deals with nothing. Well, he didn't know because I was her pastor too. I had been counseling her. I could never tell him what me and her talked about. But he didn't realize that she ended up marrying that guy and he was abusive. And he wouldn't pay the bills. And he treated her like crap. And she was in hell and she would sit in my office and talk about it. it was the worst decision she ever made. He just saw the image she betrayed. In the day of social media, man, it seems like, man, everybody gets away with this sin. No, they don't trust me. You always pay the piper. When you begin to lose the Father's blessing, it's time to go home. And sometimes the Father's blessing is something so simple as this amazing thing called peace. To be able to lay your head down at night and close your eyes and have a clear mind and a full heart and not replay the things you're doing or the things you've been involved in that you know you shouldn't be doing over and over and over is an amazing thing. Sometimes the blessing of God, I think we hear the word blessing and we think millions of dollars. Sometimes the blessing of God is just contentment. It's just peace. The older I get, make no mistake about it, I'm still young chicken. All right? Well, it's like, you're getting old. I'm like, you're 20 years older than me. I'm getting older than what are you? Speedy. Wait till you get my age. I say, speedy. When I get to speedy, I always love to say that. When you get to my age, how old are you going to be when I get to your age? I'm always younger than you. So I'm going to be feeling like you do now, but you're going to feel worse. I'm still making fun of you. So what good does that do? You know? But you know, the, one of the things that I think is just a huge blessing the older I get, I never thought I'd be this person. No drama. Like, why is that the greatest blessed? No drama. That was so new in my life that I remember when I first got and appeared in our life. I, I, I can almost tell you it was three years ago. Like, me and Christine got, there was no drama. I, I, I was like a junkie. I, I started going with withdrawals. I started having anxiety. And Christine, like, we were going, I, you know, I always go to counseling. She's like, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. Things are too calm. I was so used to drama, I couldn't function without it. 
Sometimes the blessing of God is just, just no drama, just peace. Hey, when you're left with nothing, I got to get through this message, man. I got to speed this up. When you're left with nothing, it's time to go home. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's called rock bottom. You say, well, that seems like common sense when you come. No, you know how many people don't go home after rock bottom? Sadly, for some people, rock bottom's death. How many junkies do we know? You're like, God, do they have to lose anything else? Man, it's got to be their rock bottom. You've You've lost everything. When you're left with nothing, go home. I can't. No, you're just too prideful. Go home. Go home. They won't accept me. They will. I'm going to show you here in a minute. You're left with nothing. When you long for the Father's house, you ever been in that stage where you're so deep in your sin, but man, there's just this longing to go back. There's this longing that you know something is there, When he came to his senses, ah, this is always a turning point. How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Suddenly, mom and daddy's house didn't seem so bad. I remember when I turned 18, my parents came to me. I had about two weeks from graduation and they found Weed in my drawer. They said, listen, you can smoke weed. We don't think it's in the world. But you ain't going to do it in this house because you've got younger brothers and sisters. So you need to make a decision right now what you're going to do. Deuces. I left. Moved in with seven guys in a two-bedroom townhome in Snellville, Georgia, where everybody's somebody. That's what it said on the sign anyway. And boy, I went through about a two-year period. And then I got my life right with God. And I was about to get married. And I wanted to get my finances in order. I came to my parents and asked them if I could come home. I'll never forget my parents said. They said, well, the offer's still the same. No drugs, and here's what rent is. And I, remember, I remember this day, it was $50 a week. I remember before they were like $50 a week. I was like, $50 a week? Are you crazy? I'll get my own place. Well, I was never so glad to come home and pay $50 a week. All the food I could eat, laundry, clean bathroom. Boy, suddenly when I was living out on my own, all them rules back home didn't seem so bad. Oh, I got to be home by 11? I'm 20 years, I don't care what time, 11? Maybe at 10.30. You start to long for the Father's house, it's time to come home. Second question, my Bible's falling apart on me. That's good, man, when you preach the cover off of it. Second question, how do we go home? Got to ask this one over and over. Gary, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm in the pig pit. I get it, man, but how do you do it? He lays it out, man. There's so much stuff in here, and I got to be quick. Like I said, this should have been its own message, too. I, I hate I hate overloading you with information. I want you to normally leave here with one thought today. You're not going to, so hope you're taking good picture notes up there. You go home, we'll resolve. We'll resolve. 
You decide I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of wallowing in the pig pen. I'm sick of my hurts, my habits, and my hang-ups controlling my life. I'm sick of being broke, busted, and disgusted in it controlling my life. I've had enough, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to turn my life around. Luke 15, 18, he said, I will set out and go back to my father. He didn't say I might set out. He said, I don't hope to set out. He didn't say, man, I hope my day. He said, I'm heading back home. I don't know that daddy's going to accept me. I don't know that he's going to make me a hired hand, but I'm heading home. I've made the decision. You want me to tell you how you overcome your sin? Listen, 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 listen. You just stop. You just stop. God, we live in this 12-step world of everything. Just stop. Got to have a formula for everything or a counseling appointment for everything or a medicine diagnosis for everything. Just stop. You complicate it. You go home and resolve. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of my finances not being what they could be. I'm going to learn how to get them in line. Someone told me, well, I can't afford the class. How much is the class, David? hundred bucks? It's a hundred bucks. It's 60. But you can afford smokes all week. You can afford Netflix. You can afford to eat out. Part of me wants to say, I'll just pay it for you, but I'm not going to pay it for them. Because you know why? If I pay it for them, they have no skin in the game. You know what? I had people come to me and say, if someone wants to take the class, I'll pay for them. I wouldn't let them. I won't let them. Because if you can't come up with $60 to take a class that's going to help you get out of your financial, literally lays it out plan by plan. It's the most amazing, thought-out thing I've ever seen in my life. Because, again, we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't. Then you don't want it bad enough. You're not resolved to get your crap in order. I want to step out and follow this guy that was telling me, I want to step out and do this. It's all I can think about. And I said, well, what do we got to do to make that happen? I just got to be able to make this amount of money when I do it. I said, you're not going to make this amount of money when you start doing it. So what we got to do is we got to cut some debt. Well, I don't want to get rid of my 2019 Jeep. Cool. Then, then you don't want to go out and do this. When we set out on my own to do things, man, I was talking about it earlier. I bought a, sold every, I had a Lexus. I sold my Lexus and bought a 2003 Expedition for $2,500. I drove that 2003 Expedition or whatever year Expedition it was for five years while I started building what I have now. It was ugly falling apart. The last two years, they didn't have air conditioner. I used to tell people, I said, this is the favorite car I've ever owned. They're like, what? I said, it's the only car I've ever owned that was paid for. They have a payment every month. I sold that car for two, I think I was telling somebody today, the store, Tom Hunt. I sold that car for $2,000 when I finally bought a new car. That was right when I met Christine, seven years ago. Had an action sticker in the back that was burned in the back. So you put it off and it was still burnt in the window. 
I see that Spanish guy still driving that car all the time through here. I didn't care what I drove. I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to have life on my own terms, so I made some changes. I bought a house two blocks away that was falling apart, that wasn't livable. Didn't even have a kitchen in it when we bought it. Didn't even have central heat and air in it when I bought it. Didn't even have a bathtub in it when I bought it. One shower for six people. Do you know why I bought it? Because I knew I could go flip burgers if I had to and make the house payment. I was more interested in doing what I felt God had called me to do than where I lived. Some of the day made it was the first time I've had a stupid comment like this in a long time from someone in this church. Must be nice to live in that house you live in now. It is. It is. I don't take a salary from this church. But if I did take a salary from this church and I could afford that house, it's none of your freaking business. But what you miss out on is I bought a house five years ago and made so much money on that house that I was able to put down on this house to get that. Not that any of that's your business. My point is, all that happened because I had the resolve to do it. Most of you only had the resolve to talk about it. You go home and resolve. I refuse. I refuse to let this be the end of me. When I, 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 when I lost everything at 33 years old, immediately, people took it as I was unrepentant. I was so repentant. But here's it. I was like, I, I, I remember when I lost everything. I was like, I'm 33 years old. I'll be damned if my life is over. I refuse. If I lost everything today, I'm 44. My life is not over. I tell you, I'm like a cockroach, man. I'm going to live. We go home and resolve. Determined to get home. Determined to be a victor. Determined to be a winner. So many of you got a loser mindset. I gave you about a month break on that terminology. You thought I was beating you up too bad in the last series. But it applies here. You don't want to win. You want to skate by. Because you've skated by everywhere in life. You can't go back to the farm skating by. You've got to go back with resolve. Hey, listen, don't miss out this because this ain't a popular word in the church anymore. You've got to go home with repentance. I will sit and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You want, to tell, you want me to tell you how you overcome whatever issue it is you're dealing with that's taking you away from the farm? You man up and take ownership for it. You quit blaming your job. You quit blaming your spouse. You quit blaming your children. You, keep bl- you quit blaming your coworker. You quit blaming whoever it is in your life. Your parents didn't hug you enough and tell you that you could do it. God, we are the most sissy-fied generation I've ever seen. Someone's got a stroke and says, I believe in you. If you don't believe in yourself, what does it matter? 
take responsibility for your actions. I messed up. I screwed up. I was wrong. I don't have an excuse. I, well, actually, I have a thousand excuses on why it happened. But at the end of the day, all of those excuses are I allowed myself to get in that position to where that was an excuse. I made the poor decision. Own up. You'll never overcome your sin. You'll never overcome what's keeping you separated from the house. You'll never, you'll never get back to the farm or get your relationship right with the Father until you take responsibility. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I'm not responsible for what Christine does. I'm not responsible for what my children do. I'm not responsible for what Kai does or David does or what Angel does or who over here I can't even see. Good God Almighty, thank God I'm not responsible for what party does. responsible for me some of you are so busy playing the playing the blame game that you'll never get home man this son he screwed up but he manned up every time i use an example someone messages me because i get it people are weird when it comes to animals you can love him you can hate him You can think he's from the pits of hell and what he did was the worst thing ever. But I've always said I've never seen anybody man up and take responsibility on their issues and spend the rest of their life trying to make amends for what they did like Michael Vick when it came to the dog fighting thing. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying Michael Vick's a good person. I don't know Michael Vick. I am not putting my stamp of approval on Michael Vick. So save your messages because I don't really care. But I will tell you this, he never blamed anybody. He owned up to it. He said it was wrong. He has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars educating people in that area. And yet we still crucify him. But yet if it was you, you'd want grace. Gary doesn't care about it. It's not that. I'm just saying it's a story. I'm not even a Michael Vick fan. wasn't a Michael Vick fan back in the day. I could care less about sports. I don't care. But I always saw a guy that I always like, man, that guy owned up to his mistakes. It doesn't make the mistake any less. Still consequences for it, and he's paid those consequences. But he owned up to it. And he's built him, rebuilt himself in a big way. And I can't think he'd have never been able to rebuild himself had he not owned up to what he did. I'll always hate him. I don't, I don't care. Hate him. What a miserable thing to do. Hate somebody you don't know. God. Hey, you go home with respect. Go home with respect. Luke 15, 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Go home with respect. I'm coming home expecting nothing in return. Nothing. I just want to come home. I said this, and I've said this for, I'm 44, almost 12 years now. 
I never expect the people in my past to forgive me for what I did. I think it's pretty petty they want to hold on to it. That's on them. It doesn't affect me. But I've always said this. I don't know where this number came from. And it's funny because I'm approaching it now. I said 20 years later, I went on to be able to say, man, I hate Gary Lamb. I can't stand what he did. But I got to admit, there's something different about him today. That's always been my goal. Always. Got to give him credit. He stuck it out and continued to serve people and continued to love people. I don't agree with the way I always did it. It's always been my goal. I don't expect him to put me back to where I was. I don't even want to be back where I was. That'd be a step down. Think I want to give up my life to go back to that? No. I got this weird, I'm a, what do you call it when someone who loves to punish themselves? I got this weird sadistic thing when it comes to you guys. I want to punish myself by being your pastor, I guess. I don't know. I love this place. I've got a huge, insanely, the biggest career opportunity of my life is in front of me. Game changing. And you know the number one thing that's the most attractive to me about it? It allows me even more time to devote to this place. That was the criteria for me. It's going to take a lot of work. It's something that won't even happen for a year and a half away if it all works out. When my mentors come along and brought me into this fold on this thing, it's awesome. But at minimum, it keeps me out of here four to maybe five weeks out of the year, and the rest of the time I can be devoted to here. That's awesome. Because that's what I want to do. I want to be here. Can't get rid of me. Oh, hey. I must go home with respect. Third question, I told you, we've got to get done. Because I want to focus here for a minute. You're off in the far land. You've clicked in your head, you've got to go home. You're ready to go home, solve repentance, respect. But let's be honest, you're nervous what's going to be at home. I get it. You screwed up. It makes you nervous to go back to the wife and say, man, I screwed up. Or go back to the husband. Bad about throwing the men under the bus and never the wives. You women are dirty too. I've seen what y'all do to some bathrooms. I've come to this conclusion too. Women are just as dirty-minded as men ever were. Men got a bad rap over the years. I married a woman 10 years younger than me, and I see the text she sends to her friends. You women should be ashamed. Y'all make me look like a choir boy. Talking a lot of junk when my wife ain't here, can I? Tell you what. Third question. What? She had surgery week. She's on medicine. I don't even know if she'll know what I talked about. What? I'll make sure I delete the sermon off Facebook where she can't watch it. What will we find when we get home? It's scary to go home. <laughs> you know, the first thing we'll find is we'll find love. You'll find love. You're not going to find a judgmental God. You're not going to find some overbearing God who's going to throw your sin in your face. You already know your sin. Now, there'll be consequences for your sin. Don't fool yourself, baby. But you'll find love. So he got up. He went to his father. 
but. Golly, but. I've told you before, I'm going to do a series one time because I like big butts and I cannot lie. Because there's some awesome butts in the Bible. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. This one's powerful. God went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, do that for Easter this year. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Father didn't do nothing wrong. The son did. But the father's running to meet the son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Tell you something, all you're going to find when you come back to God in the midst of your sin is love. Love like you have never known in your life. Peace that passes all understanding, comfort. <laughs> I, I, I've thought about this a lot because you're like, man, I, I, the guilt from my sin. I think the reason we feel so much guilt from our sin, the easy answer to say is because we're reminded of it all the time. We, 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 we make God that he's going to, no, no, no. I think the reason is, is because God doesn't remind us of it. He's as far as the east is from the west. I have forgotten it. I think there's so much love that we don't feel worthy of it that we almost feel guilty that we did it. Does that make sense? Makes sense in my head. It'd be easier. It's kind of like when you come home and you tell your wife something and you, man, you almost want her to yell at you. Get mad. I'll feel better. They say they just look at you and you know you've hurt them and they love you no matter what. And you're like, come on, just yell at me. Like, give me a punishment. And I feel like that'll help me. I don't know how to deal with love like this. Father ran out and met him. When you set off home, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you're involved in, what you're doing. When you come home, you'll find love. A loving God. The Bible says God is love. Don't get any simpler than that. The church is hate. The church has turned God into this God of hate. Christians spew hate. God loves. He loves white, black, rich, poor. Liberal and conservative, straight, straight and gay. Those that don't know what they are, we make fun of them, and God said, "I just love them. I know what they are." God's love. When you come home, you're going to find love. You're going to find luxury. You're going to find luxury. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick. He didn't have to earn his way back in. He didn't have to go to penance class. He didn't have to go take 13 lashings. We love to punish people. And because we love to punish people, we think we deserve punishment. 
Again, there's consequences. But God's not a God who punishes us. God's a God who loves us. We punish ourselves because the love of God's so amazing. Quick, immediately, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Son of mine was dead, he's alive again. He's lost and he's found. When you come home, you're part of the family. When you come home, heaven rejoices. When you come home, you don't have to earn your way into anything. If you, well, let me make this very clear because again, this is what religion says. This is what religious sects say. You've got to earn your way into something. If you've got to do anything, anything, it's not grace. God plus anything eliminates grace. God plus coming to church. You just eliminated grace. God plus reading your Bible. You just eliminated grace. God plus praying. Now listen, you ought to read your Bible. You ought to pray. I believe all those things. And I believe if you understood the fully the love of God, you'd want to have a relationship with him that you foster. Grace makes you want to foster that relationship. Religion demands that you foster that relationship. Quick, bring all these things. He's my son. Did the son still feel guilt? Of course he did. Did the son feel shame? Of course he did. But God knew he could never get restored to his place until God showed him his place. If he left him as a servant, if he left him in his old rags, if he left him as an outcast, it won't sound very inviting. I mean, I'll let him back in the church, but people's favorite question to me all the time is, would you let so-and-so back? Yeah. My wife and I have had this discussion. Do I want so-and-so back? Uh-uh. It's the house of God. How many times have you, some of you have been divorced since you've been in part of this church, and I'm like, well, can they keep coming? Yeah. Because you got divorced don't mean we got divorced. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I was here first. Shut up. We liked them better anyway. But they did this. I know they did. What are they doing back here? I don't know. But then I always wanted people to bring me back in. Who am I to expect people to move on from my mistakes if I don't move on from, well, they need to do this, this, this. They don't need to do anything. That's between them and God. If they feel like they need to come make it right, they can come try to make it right. Do you know you can love someone? Don't miss this. And not like them? Just because they come back don't mean they get the arm around me and I'm their best buddy. 
but I can love them. You know, you can love someone and not trust them. Very possible. Matter of fact, smart. Someone did you wrong, you don't got to trust them. But you can still have the love of Christ for them. See, love's that vague word. So we think love means all-encompassing, oh my God. No, there's different kinds of love. I can have a brotherly love towards that person. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. You find luxury when you come home. We hold people's sins over their head. Not God. We guilt people. We remind people of their past. Not God. Come home. Luxury. Oh, you know what else I like? I'm done. When you go home, you'll find laughter. So they begin to celebrate. I wonder what would happen in this mindset when people returned here. Instead of you whispering about why they're here, you begin to celebrate that they're back. Mm. Standing too close for my own liking. Heaven celebrates when you come home. God rejoices when you come home. Well, I don't like that. Then leave. Leave. Are you telling me, yeah, leave. You know why I tell you to leave, though? He'll be back. They always come back. It's a weird place here. It's a place you get sick of real quick and get your feelings hurt real quick. But you always come back. How many times I tried to leave this place? Golly. A lot. Shut up and come home. Some of you today are in a place in your life, in a, an area of your life. Maybe it's just one area of your life. You need to come home in that area. That one area, you're one decision away from living the life you were created for. But I'm too deep in. You're not too deep in. You're not. You come home. This guy was feeding pigs. Went home to be a servant. Went right back to being a son. I don't know what area in your life it is you need to come home in, but you do. Let me make this clear to you. I don't want to know. I'm too busy. That's the great thing about not being the all-knowing pastor. You can go to God. You ain't got to come to me. I don't got a bat line for you. I'd hate to be a Catholic priest. I don't want to know all your sins. I don't care. Thank God you got direct access to him. Golly, can you imagine him do confessional at this church? It'd be like the Waffle House, man, 24-7. I had to run shifts. I don't want to know. Happens all the time at this church. I'm just perusing Facebook. I see a mug shot. Happens all the time. Someone who goes to this church. You know what I always get excited about when that happens? 
I can't wait to see them the next time. I just can't wait to look at them and say, you screwed up. Do better and hug them. I love that. I know that that, I know as they pull into the parking lot is what they're wondering. Anybody seen this? What's Gary going to say? What am I going to say? I'll see whatever you've done on a Google search, and I'll up you times 10 any day. I had a guy this week message me from a church planting organization. He said, man, I really like what you're doing on Facebook. I want to go to our committee. Like, I don't even know what a committee. I'm going to go to our committee. And talk to him about bringing you in to help guys start churches. What do you think? I responded, I said, I think you need to go Google my name. Before you go to any committee. <laughs> I'm just saying, be prepared. Shut up and come home. The doors are always open at home. But you got to come to your senses first. Let's pray.